welcome to Geek Freaks. I am Frank, and today is a single player episode. We're going to start things off by wishing everybody at Geek Freaks a happy Father's Day. We're recording this on the day before Father's Day. Some of the team are fathers and they're spending this weekend with their loved ones. I hope they have a lot of fun. On today's Geek Freaks, we're going to be talking about many things including Jon Snow, Squid Game series, Marvel's got a big announcement, some NFT problems, a bunch of headlines, and we're going to wrap things up with a recommendation. Let's start things off with news from the network. This week is the beginning of the Pushing Buttons tournament where we're going to be having heroes versus villains. So me and Kyle are taking our teams of heroes. We're going to narrow it down to the ultimate video game hero. We're going to do the same thing with the villains, narrow them down, and then we're going to see what happens. We're going to take the ultimate hero from a video game and the ultimate villain and smash them. Let's see what happens. Round three just had their season finale. So check out the entire season, guys. These are three esports coaches and players talking about the field and how you yourself can be a better player. It's very useful and very, very knowledgeable. Last thing I want to mention is we have changed the stream schedule for the summer. Give us a little more time to enjoy the sun. So every Wednesday and Friday at 7 o'clock, I'll be streaming over there. We've been streaming a lot of Jedi Fallen Order right now. We also are streaming some Sea of Thieves with some like community nights, which has been a lot of blast from those in the Discord community. Speaking of Discord, come hang out with us. We're on most evenings. If you want to talk about anything in the geek culture, video games, comic books, TV shows, or movies, we're there to hang out. Lastly, as you heard, we have got a new theme song for Geek Freaks. We just thought we'd freshen things up. It's been 350 episodes. It's about time we freshen a little bit of the music up. So we have that new theme song. Our transitional music will be part of that theme song. And finally, we have a new segment called Headlines. This is something we've been mulling over as we do TikToks. But basically, it's where we're going to shotgun through a ton of different headlines, maybe over like two minutes, and just get out some of the daily news. This is stuff from like delays, release dates, new casting, video game announcements, stuff like that that is small, but it's important that you guys hear it. That'll be at the end of the episode and it'll have the same theme music going into it. All right, let's get into some of that cool news out there today. Our first story was first reported by The Hollywood Reporter. It's actually exclusive from them, but has everybody a buzz. HBO is in early development for another Game of Thrones spinoff based on fan-favorite character Jon Snow. Actor Kit Harington is attached to reprise the role. This is Kit's most popular role and was even nominated for an Emmy for his work on Game of Thrones. Recently, he has also appeared in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, co-starring in Eternals as the Black Knight. But in this series, he's going to explore the events after Game of Thrones, what Jon Snow has been up to. In the finale of Game of Thrones, we saw him joining the Wildlings, they call themselves Free Folk, as they journey north. Uh, when Jon was last in the north, he seemed to really discover who he was when he didn't have any authority, who Jon Snow is as a man. He even fell in love with Egret, uh, who was played by Rosie Leslie. Fun fact, they actually got married in real life after the show. That's pretty cool. Um, but I have two big predictions on how this show is going to go. First off, I think the show is going to focus on the new dynamics of the Free Folk after they've experienced Southern life. For the most part, Free Folk weren't allowed below the wall, so a lot of them didn't know what farming was and, and how that felt. Free Folk typically stayed in small tribes that avoided each other, and they never really stayed in one place. A lot of them were nomadic. Many of the wildlings will want to return to this old lifestyle that's in their blood, that's what they like. 
but others may want the comforts they experienced when they were south of the wall in Winterfell. No doubt, Sansa of Winterfell would have welcomed anybody who wanted to stay, but I bet there's going to be some opportunists, some wildling versions of Littlefingers, that think they could create their own kingdom above the wall. Lords have tried this in the past, but ultimately have failed, mostly because wildlings only knew one way of life. You're trying to explain to them that you have to bend the knee to me, but I promise your life will be better. But now, they know farms can keep their bellies full, and the hearths can keep them warm. Tension from the old ways and the new ambitions will possibly create turmoil in the north. The key is, I'm not sure which way Jon Snow will land on this. He's definitely from, you know, the southern lifestyle, but he found a new home in the north with the wildlings. He's going to be a very good intermediary in this struggle. My next big production, and the one I'm really excited for, is all the fantasy that's going to be going on here. After the rise of the Whites, magic seems to awaken from the farthest reaches. We got giants, mammoths, and children of the forest. They were all thought to be gone. We see they are very much still here. Some of the other creatures from the books that could be seen in this region are ice dragons and unicorns. Yes, unicorns. All right, so first, the ice dragons are just that. They're dragons that deal in ice rather than fire. And Daenerys ushered in a new era of dragons. So really, dragons are coming to Game of Thrones, to Westeros. Game of Thrones unicorns are on the island of Skagos. Now, this island's a little tricky. It actually kind of, if you look at it on the map, it kind of straddles either side of the wall. It's right there if you think of it, the position on the map. It is on the east side of Westeros. Generally, people don't go to Skagos for two reasons. First off, it's very mountainous. The terrain is awful. Secondly, the humanoids that live there, they're considered more humanoids than humans, are cannibals, and they ride unicorns. The unicorns they ride are these more goat-like creatures that are meant to climb the mountains that they reside on. Now, in the books, this is actually where Rick and Stark is hiding. We're not caught up with the show in the books. You got to remember that. So Rick and Stark is hiding on Skagos with a bunch of unicorn-riding cannibals. It's, a, it's an interesting part of the book. There's a lot more in the book, obviously, than in the show. Skagos is also where the, the origin of ice dragons comes from. It's said that in the Civil War, the, the Targaryen Civil War, the Dance of Dragons, that the uh, dragon named Cannibal flew up there, and that's where he resided for a long time. Um, and then from there, there was rumors that ice dragons were formed or created since then. Obviously, we're pumped about any more Game of Thrones, right? So when this spinoff has more information, we're going to bring it to you guys right here. We're also going to do it on the TikTok. But we're definitely going to talk about it here on Geek Freaks, and I can't wait to get Jonathan's opinion on this. Me and Jonathan, we essentially both read the books. I read the books. I told Jonathan every word that was read, so he read, basically read the books too. And uh, so we ended up reviewing, I think, the last two seasons of Game of Thrones, and we had a lot of fun with that, and we got a lot of really good positive feedback on that. So we're going to do that again with all the future spinoffs, including the upcoming House of Dragons, which is going to release this August. It tells the Civil War with the House Targaryen, and it's set about 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones. There's a couple other live-action series in the, in the works. One called 10,000 Ships, which is all going to be about Nymeria. She's the first like queen of Dorne that brings her people from uh, the east over to Westeros and settles in the south. Um, and then there's going to be something called The Nine Voyages. It's going to be all about the Sea Snake and, of course, Duncan Egg, which I have a feeling Duncan Egg is going to be the one that really captures people's hearts because that's actually just a story of this big buff, very tall knight, which is actually a brand of Tarth. It's her ancestor. And this small kid who's kind of a punk and 
is learning nobility, and he's actually a Targaryen um, in the line of the Targaryens. And it's just really two cool combo people. So there's a comic book series. There's already a book for Duncan Egg, and I suggest you guys check that out. Now we're talking about Squid Game, a reality competition series based on the viral drama Squid Game is coming to Netflix. The streaming network announced on Tuesday that 456 participants will compete for the largest cash prize in television history in a new show called Squid Game The Challenge. You'll note that the 456 participants is the same that's on the show. Uh, they're also going to be competing for $4.56 million uh, for anybody who could survive the levels of childhood-inspired games. Netflix teased that alliances and strategies will be necessary for players to be able to move forward. This is much like, you know, Survivor and Amazing Race. If you're a Survivor fan, by the way, check out Outlast Podcast, part of this network. Netflix also confirmed the upcoming reality series has the support of Squid Game creator Huang Dong-hyuk. A statement from Brandon Riggs, the Netflix VP of Unscripted and Documented Series, says, Squid Game took the world by storm with director Huang's captivating story and iconic imagery. We're grateful for his support as we turn the fictional world into reality in this massive competition and social experiment. Netflix is now searching for English-speaking contestants from anywhere in the world to take part in a 10-episode series with no date for release yet, of course. Uh, but Squid Game itself is renewed for Season 2 and possibly Season 3. He announced on the Korean Times uh, that he is working on a Season 3 as well. All right, let's talk about how this is a terrible, terrible idea. First off, I mean... It's so frustrating to watch people get excited for this. Like, I, I, I will also admit that I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm not happy with myself, right? I'm excited for this. But let's think about what Squid Game is. There's the reality TV side of it. Like, there's a competition side of it that's surfaced deep. But beyond that, it's a story about how these people that were down on their luck, that uh, society had forgotten, the class system that basically put a rung that's below, so below that they need something like this to be able to survive. And how they're willing to most likely die just for a chance to get ahead. And now Netflix is like, let's make that real. Like, not to that degree, obviously, you know, hopefully nobody dies and, and everything like that. But you got to imagine that if you're excited to watch this, you're closer to the people wearing the masks in the series than you are the people you're rooting for in the series. Netflix is spending $4.56 million on this. And it's their prerogative to do whatever they want with their money. I'm not telling them to stop doing that. But think of how much money that is. And maybe that could have gone somewhere more useful. Again, I'm a total hypocrite here. Of course, I'm going to watch this. It sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. When I first heard 456 people competing in a competition, that part itself sounds really neat. And then when you build in like the strategies and the alliances, as somebody who's been a Survivor fan since day one, and now there's 42 seasons, obviously I'm here for that. But I hope, I hope people still remember the lessons that Squid Game was trying to teach you. The fact that class systems and the money difference and stuff like that only hurts people. Everybody lost in Squid Game. Even the winner was an empty person afterwards and thinks he has to go back in to try to fight the games. I hope the reality show tries to address something other than just, hey, let's recreate this, but we're going to put foam padding underneath the big tug of war game. Let me know what you guys think. Is this a good move for Netflix? Is this abandoning the original hope? I was actually a little bit disappointed when I heard that Huang Dun Hyuk was like on board with this. The guy created a great story that really shone a light to everybody. 
I'm sure you've seen it already, but you know the end where there's a guy dying on the side of the road and the two debate on whether or not he should be saved and if society should forget them. That's an important lesson to end the story on. Not, now it's your turn, you know. So let me know what you guys think about them creating a reality show and if this should be done. Marvel Studios' Thunderbolts is officially in development. The live-action movie will dive into the Marvel Universe's next generation of heroes and villains. The Thunderbolts were originally created by Kurt Busiek and Mark Bagley. They made their debut in the pages of Incredible Hulk in 1997. God, I miss 90s comic books, guys. Everything was edgier, like literally all the costumes had sharp points on them. Oh, the 90s. Look up Dark Claw. It's like the perfect example of the 90s, or really anything Spawn is doing. It's great. At their most heroic, the team is more extreme and brutal in their methods than most superhero teams. Tonally, they feel much more like a, a Marvel Suicide Squad. Kind of think of a Suicide Squad in this case. The MCU has been building this team for a while. Uh, we've seen Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who plays Val in the MCU, if you watch the series, approaching the lower tier or forgotten heroes, offering them a role in a new team. She pitches the team as like an Avengers team, but under the direction of the U.S. government, but also doing missions off the book. You get where the Suicide Squad vibe comes from now. The team will likely include Yelena, U.S. Agent, and Abomination, all characters that are either on the outside or lower tier. You'll note that these are kind of like street-level heroes. Abomination's an outsider because he's a U.S. soldier who is turned into a villain, and we see that in the in She-Hulk series, he is able to come back to his human form and go back and forth. He will likely be on the team as well. Another big team member we find out in Val's conversations with Yelena is... Probably Zemo. Now, Zemo is straight up a villain, right? He's one of the best villains, in my opinion, for, for Captain America. But he's likely going to lead this team, which he actually, if I remember correctly, he actually led the original version of this team, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, Zemo, he's one of those guys in the MCU where they're kind of pitching him to be like the gray characters, not necessarily fully evil, but just selfish, you know? So he could get things done, and that's kind of what you need in this case. So unlike in the comic books, the team will likely be named after General Thunderbolt Ross. He's the general that's like constantly hunting down the Hulk, and he pushed for the Scorpio Accords in the Civil War. Sadly, the actor, William Hurt, recently passed, so starting the movie by honoring him kind of just makes sense. This will be a movie, and not a series. It'll be a nice little team-based patch while we wait for Marvel to set up Fantastic Four and the X-Men. And I know you're thinking Avengers, but Kevin Feige already previously stated Marvel has no plan to make another Avengers movie, believe him or not. So Thunderbolts may be our kind of knockoff Avengers, until Disney decides to make a boatload of money again. I still remember those classic 90s Thunderbolts covers in the comic book form. Uh, they always seemed more like hardcore. Kind of a little bit of a DC feel to them personally myself. A lot of the characters were badass. They had different colors in, in their uniforms than they did like when they were as an Avenger or just in standalone comic books. I want to say the Iron Man that joined them had like a white and red uniform. It's been so long, guys. It's the 90s comic books and I was a kid that mostly bought comic books for the cool pictures. So, and I always thought I was getting rich off these someday. So that's where my mentality was. Uh, but yeah, Thunderbolts has always been kind of badass. And that's the way we're going to approach this. It might be even a more adult tone, kind of like a Deadpool. They're approaching Deadpool in this. Deadpool actually, very likely, will make an appearance on the team at some point. One of the things that this movie really needs to do is kind of ground Marvel back to a lower budget. I'm hoping that we get kind of a Winter Soldier 
budget on this thing. Yeah, Winter Soldier had a big budget, but it also felt much more grounded where we saw Steve Rogers just jogging around with Sam Wilson becoming friends. That's the kind of thing we need to return to a little bit in the Marvel. We are getting very, very big. I think anybody who watches Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness knows that, okay, Marvel can kind of scale back a little bit now. It's It's gotten to, it's reaching those edges a little bit. And so something like this where we just see a bunch of ground heroes have to break into a, a nuclear plant in Russia somewhere to get the scientists. And maybe we're going to use the scientists in the U.S. for our own nuclear ambitions. And then the team has to... I am literally just inventing this off the top of my head, and it's a perfect Thunderbolts mission. <laughs> I'm noticing. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's kind of what we're setting up, right? It's it's almost like an espionage or uh, a bit of a spy thriller kind of feel to it. And hey, that's I'm here for that. That's what we need in Marvel. We need something a little different than just a lot of lights, a lot of CGI, and a lot of flashiness. Heartwarming, sure, they're always heartwarming. They always find a way to, to pull my tongue strings. But not as much as, say, a ground-level hero that the stakes are real. And this might be also a way to bring in some of the defenders. I could see somebody like Daredevil having to join the team for something, or or possibly even Luke Cage, who really deserves his time in the sunlight. The guy is badass. So Thunderbolts could be exactly what Marvel needs. It does feel, just personally, like we're getting shortchanged on another Avengers, and knowing that we have X-Men and Fantastic Four on the horizon, but this could be something that, that'll help us out a little bit. I'm rooting for it. I think I think Thunderbolts might be might be your next favorite movie it's going to be really big it's going to be how suicide squad snuck up on you the second one the next thing we're going to be talking about is the instability in both nfts and cryptocurrencies going on right now now this article is from variety from a writer named care erickson i want to shout out care she actually does a lot of really good work and i enjoy reading a lot of her articles i'm going to shotgun through some of her uh, recent articles to kind of give you a feel for what she does so she talks about uh, the two big questions from Gaming Fest, scare subs and remakes, takeaways from Gaming Summer Showcase, uh, Lightyear illuminates box office most powerful trend, nostalgia, or possibly uh, why PlayStation's cross-platform and live service pushes should be synonymous, and can A24 sustain its box office boom? That's a must-read. That's a really good one. But yeah, she, she really delves into these questions that are almost kind of a highbrow version of geek culture, so please check out care it's k-a-a-r-e erickson with a k uh work she does a wonderful job okay so let's talk about this one about the instability of both nfts and cryptocurrency right now the board ape yacht club uh, experienced a barrage of phishing attacks on its discord server this was last weekend after his community manager's account was compromised somebody hacked into his discord account the attack made off with 200 eth worth of nfts from the members of the server that's about $360,000 for us normal people <laughs> lost in popular digital assets that portray like cartoon apes. That's kind of what they deal in is these cartoon apes. I'm sure you guys have seen them all over the internet. Such attacks are seemingly part of part and parcel of buying into a decentralized cryptocurrency based market of digital goods. Like even OpenSea, the largest market for the NFTs has seen its own system compromised. It's the largest market. It's like if Amazon got hacked. Such as one scammer who, in December, was able to exploit a flaw in the trading platform system and ran away with thousands upon thousands. One of the more popular cases is when Seth Green recently, he was developing a show based off of his NFT board ape character. I'm obviously outside of the realm of this, that's why I keep calling them characters and just board apes. Uh, he was going to make a whole show off of this, but the problem was it got stolen. Somebody tricked him and stole his board ape and ran away with it. 
so he had to stop the show. He didn't own the rights to the main character of a show, which was his bored ape. So he had to stop the show. He eventually got it back, but we don't know how much he paid to get it back, right? But he got it back, so presumably the show could continue. I doubt it will, because as soon as the news broke, so did a trailer for the show, and he just got barraged with people like, how stupid are you? Don't make this show, please. Please make more, ro- more robot chicken, and don't do this. And so I don't know if he'll really go through with it. He got, he got a lot of... uh a lot of beef for it, so we'll see. But anyways, yeah, even Tim Sweeney, you know, the guy who's in charge of Epic Games and Fortnite, had to come out this week and explain that a new popular cryptocurrency called Fortnite Coin was not a part of Fortnite, and he actually took actions to try to shut it down. The coin's maker tried to explain that the coin was not, not really, like, trying to trick anybody, it was just a fan-made project. But Sweeney quickly shut that down and explained, no, that's not how copyrights work. What this article is basically boiling down and trying to explain is that, yes, the cryptocurrency world and this NFT world, they can be very attractive. We see on TikTok and on Instagram, everybody living that hashtag rich life because they somehow tricked the system of decentralized cryptocurrency and made a bunch of money. But you'll note that they're flaunting cash. They're not flaunting their crypto base coin very often because you can't go to a Target and buy shit. With your Bitcoin, you have to turn it into cash. So if you're interested in this stuff, it's very neat and it's it's kind of cool to experiment with. I myself have Dogecoin, believe it or not, because I just wanted to see what it was like and check it out. So I currently have Dogecoin. Not a lot of it, but just enough to toy with. But you have to be careful about this. You go in slowly. You have to understand both the risks and the toll it takes. That's the other thing that we've talked about here on the podcast. To make cryptocurrency, it's a great deal of energy used to do the mining and that energy of course is putting a strain on our power grid and our planet so keep that in mind too there's also that side of it but that is also something that eventually will be i'm hoping fixed there are certain cryptocurrencies that are completely zero emission with different you know solar powered machines and whatnot uh but keep that in mind as well but yeah it's it's a touchy scared world don't invest too heavily and please do your research i'm definitely not the end-all be-all researcher on this one but I will again suggest that you check out Variety's uh, Care. I'm sorry, Care Erickson. She does a great job, and she actually her latest piece is all about the crypto uh, market crunch uh, cast over the Web three. She's explaining in a brand new article basically how cryptocurrency is casting a shadow over this. People are wanting to immediately merge the two together, but when you're trying to found something new, something that'll be really amazing and possibly the future of how commerce and internet works, and you're trying to also use something else that's very new and unstable it it's it hurts everybody right it, it, it makes it slows things down you need something foundational to build something new upon and if you're using something loose and sloppy like cryptocurrencies that are also finding their way but it's hard to make metaverse and cryptocurrencies work together right now anyways it's a great article she just put out i'm going to link off to both the article that i referenced for this one and that recent article again care erickson she's outstanding Next, we are talking about those pesky charging cables that come with your different phones and different devices, all of them different sizes. This is based on an article from Engadget by writer John Fingus. Thank you, John. You did a great job. Recently, the European Union voted to set a universal standard for device chargers, most likely the thing in the USB-C connection. Uh, to kind of give you an idea, that's the one that's the oval, where if you flip it upside down, either way, it'll connect in, which is a novel idea. This will do away with USB mini, USB micro, and of course the dreaded iPhone lightning cables, right? 
We also learned this week that the EU might not be the only government working on the standardized idea. According to The Verge, U.S. Senator Ed Markey, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders have sent a letter to Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo calling on her department to develop a comprehensive strategy that would lead to a common charging standard. The EU acted in the public interest by setting the one port the senators have said. The U.S. ought to do the same and reduce the environmental impact of chargers while improving the convenience for users. A charger standard would theoretically reduce e-waste by letting people reuse old cables and adapters for new devices. They wouldn't have to throw away all their cords when they got a new iPhone. It could also help consumers save money by not having them buy a bunch of new chargers and cables, oftentimes very expensive when you buy them from the phone sellers themselves, when buying a new device. You know how it is, you get a new iPhone and it already costs you $900 at least, and then for some reason the cable that seems so cheap when you buy it at Walmart, but if you're there in the Apple store, is for some reason $30, and all of a sudden you have to buy a couple of them because you need one by the bed, you need one by the couch, you know how it is. Now, the senators didn't necessarily say that USB-C is the way to go, but it's likely the front runner as it already is EU's favorite choice. EU is saying that the USB-Cs will be required by 2024. Early hints are that Apple's already going to adopt the USB-C by 2023, seeing this coming. Now, speaking of Apple, which is kind of the biggest name that everybody's talking about in this case, they're pushing back, claiming that a universal charger would actually hurt innovation by limiting the potential for technological advances. And they say that the e-waste would be negated by everybody throwing away their current lightning cables for the new USB-Cs, which feels so hollow. I mean, come on, guys. Are you... Now, don't get me wrong. I am an Apple fanboy. I've had an iPhone since iPhone 3, and that was my first smartphone. But I have to agree. The lightning cables are just stupid. Now, the EU switching over to this policy would likely force their hand. But if the US switched over to this policy, it would make it concrete. There's no way that Apple could try to make two different versions of the phone just to be a pain or a thorn in your side. So if America get on board with this, then it's going to make it standard for sure amongst the entire world. And hopefully they do. Hopefully these senators will get the ear of the Commerce Secretary and make this thing solid. This next segment is something we've been kicking around for a little bit here at Geek Freaks called Headlines. A lot of times there's the stuff we want to discuss and really dive into, like Marvel's Thunderbolts and, you know, Squid Game reality TV show. But other times there's just things that have to be said so that you guys can hear about it. And then we'll talk about it over on our Discord or something like that. That's what this section is. So let's go over the headlines. Joker 2 is now a musical, apparently, and they're already tabbing Lady Gaga to play Harley Quinn. Joaquin Phoenix is already going to be returning for this. And the last time we saw him, he was in an asylum. That's where he meets Harley Quinn and eventually kind of corrupts her into being the Harley Quinn we know and love. I think Lady Gaga is going to kill it, but I'm a little concerned about the musical idea myself. Amazon Prime Days are coming. They're going to come in mid-July. Now, say what you will about, you know, a big company basically creating a holiday. I always tend to buy something on Amazon Prime Days. I mean, they're just cheap. But the thing I want to make sure to share with you guys is they're going to be giving away over 30 video games during that month. If you guys have if you guys have Amazon Prime and you go over to your Amazon Prime like website on Amazon, you'll see that they're often giving away free games. I think I've got Gen Jedi Fallen Order over there a couple months ago or something like that. There's always free games over there. Well, every day of the month in July, they're giving away a free game. And it looks like some AAA titles. One in particular they've already revealed is Mass Effect 
Legendary Edition. I might actually play it. That'd be pretty great. Todd Howard, the big boss over at Bethesda Games, had a lot to say following last week's Xbox showcase. So let's go over some of the quick things here. Fallout 5 is the next game of development following Elder Scrolls 6. Starfield's main quest is 30 to 40 hours. It's about 20% longer than Skyrim. The transition between planets in Starfield will be a cinematic. You won't actually be able to land on the planet. It's unfortunate, but if you think about how big the game's already going to be, it makes sense. And lastly, Starfield has more handcrafted content than previous games, despite a lot of procedurally generated planets. It's over a thousand planets. Obviously, they're not going to handcraft all of those, but there is still a lot of handcrafted stuff. Essentially, everything you touch as a gamer is all handcrafted. Paramount announced that they are making three, count them, three Avatar trilogies. This is alongside an Avatar series. These are all going to be animated. Obviously, we're talking Avatar The Last Airbender, the cool Avatar. The trilogy, we know that the first one is going to be after Avatar Kyoshi. The second one is going to be following up on Fire Lord Ozai. And the third one is going to be a sequel to Korra, following up on Korra. So they're trilogy, but they're not really connected in, in much of a story, right? The Kyoshi one is going to be the first one. She's an amazing avatar. She actually lives for over 200 years. So she's got a lot of life to live. And we just saw a little snippet of it in Avatar The Last Airbender. This series brings hope and joy. It's for the kids and adults. I'm excited to be able to dive back into this world. Overwatch 2 announced they are ditching the loot boxes. And they're going to go to a battle pass system. Now, I'm not a big fan of the battle pass system myself. Basically, you have to play a lot more to get your stuff, it feels like. But also, you see what you're getting. Loot boxes are on the way out. A lot of this is because a lot of European nations have been outlawing them. If you, sound, if you ask me, it sounds like Europe is kind of like doing laws the right way. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. But yeah, so loot boxes are out. Battle pass is in. Justin Lin has been tapped to direct a live action One Punch Man. Now, this is going to be based off of the manga, not the anime. I know there's a lot of fans out there of, of the anime and kind of think it's the end all be all. But check out the manga. You're going to have a live action series based off of it. Lastly, for the news, Funko buys Mondo collectibles. Now, Mondo makes all kinds of things, right? They make action figures and all kinds of little neat stuff. But the thing that they're really known for, the thing that's the coolest about them is they make amazing vinyl prints. Vinyl prints that have cool art on them or, are, you know, songs that are long forgotten or soundtracks for movies that are your favorites as a kid. Think of how Funko can use that technology. We can now probably buy collectible Funko Pops to tie into a record in a whole new way. Or maybe a classic soundtrack. I personally, I mean, I know this is going to sound crazy, but Groove Troop's Powerline. Give me that soundtrack with, you know, <laughs> an actual Powerline action figure. I am on board. Take my money, please. So yeah, we'll see what Funko can do with this. That company, I don't know how, I just, their licensing team is out of this world. And <sighs> I hate to say it, but I'm here for it. My recommendation for this week is that you pick up George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood. This is a sort of a prequel to Game of Thrones. It's going over the history of the Targaryens starting at when they arrived in Westeros, so about 300 years before the events of the series. And then it's going to go all the way up to basically Game of Thrones, right? It's going to go up to Daenerys and the series. The reason I'm suggesting you guys read this, first off, the book is actually quite well written. George R. R. Martin always does this. I really love his work. He actually co-wrote this with some of the fans of the show. He some of them he tapped to do this. He's been doing that a lot with some of the side work outside of the actual Song and Ice and Fire story. But it's very well written, and I really suggest you guys check it out. 
We're going to obviously be doing a discussion about every episode of Fire and Blood when it comes out. And you guys could read along with us now and know what we're talking about then and join in on the conversation. We had a lot of fun discussing Game of Thrones about every episode that came out. And I look forward to doing that again. Well, one of the things that I felt was something really special we brought to this, not necessarily special. I, I don't want to be like the guys that like, I read the books, but I did read the books. And it helped me out so much. And I, the feedback we got that was positive was a lot of answering questions that people had about the story in the books and stuff like that. So I'm inviting you guys to enjoy me on this. Now, the book is like 800 pages. I mean, my Kindle is getting filled up with <laughs> these pages, I tell you. But it's well worth it. So join me in this adventure as we read through Fire and Blood, George R. R. Martin's story. And then I'll touch bases as we get closer to the series and see how you guys are doing. And we'll have the discussion on Discord. Come join us over there. It's a great place. All right, guys, that is it for this week. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Geek Freaks Single Player. We have much more shows coming out this week from the Geek Freaks Network. And of course, next week, we will be here with a regular Geeks Freaks episode for you. You guys have a wonderful week. And please try to take some time to enjoy this beautiful summer weather. 